0: Let's see what the stew has for us today.
1: Welcome to the GnomeCast the Gnome Stew's Tabletop Gaming Advice Podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by our awesome Patreon backers like the majestic Michelle Shepherdson, the wonderful weregator Eric Bontz, and the mystifying mad wizard Sean Merwin. Today we have myself and Pete Petruccia, one of our newest gnomes. And we're going to skip our Get to Know a Gnome question today because the whole episode is about getting to know Pete. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) So welcome to Gnome Stew, Pete.
0: Thank you. It's so great to be here.
1: (laughs) Why don't we get started right away with your gamer origin story. How did you get into gaming?
0: Okay, so um, probably like many others. So I kind of got into gaming in like the 90s. Maybe the mid 90s would be the right time period. I was just entering high school and I found Magic the Gathering. Um, ah. I had some friends who had, you know, raw RPG books on their, well, I shouldn't say they were on their shelves, but they were, they were on the shelves at the places they were staying, had roommates and stuff. And basically, I had no idea what those were. I started playing Magic the Gathering. That got me into a game store where I would find more people to play matches against. And eventually, building those friendships, I'd be hanging out at game stores. My local place was called City of Atlantis. And uh, they'd have like Wednesday night and d and just a few different nights where they'd be running games. And eventually, it was like, hey... So-and-so had to leave. Can you play their character? Um, They had a lot of (laughs) typical dungeon crawl, like very party-oriented. Each class Mm. has a role where it didn't matter who the role player was as much as it was, is there a warm body to play the character class we need?
1: Yeah, yeah. My my very first experience was probably about 10 years earlier, but was the same thing. Here, you can play this character. Yeah. And it was some random halfling halfling thief in the party.
0: (laughs) You know, the one thing I should mention, though, that... predates that a little bit that was really kind of interesting it, it kind of said hey this guy is going to be a role player one day was other than being one of those kids like in elementary school that was always pretending like hey i'm going to be like star fox or whatever character is the cool nintendo character i found the Shadowrun second edition book at a Hobbytown Ooh. usa which is mostly models like they didn't really have a lot of tabletop stuff and i was in fifth grade so literally like there there's equations that i didn't know how to do for like car collision For like another 10 years. (laughs) Um, I thought the cover, which had the, you know, the elf chick that was kind of the punk chick. And then there was the guy hacking into what was a giant computer terminal, looked like an ATM machine. And they all had wires sticking in their heads. And I'd never seen anything like it. You know, I had no exposure to like cybernetics and cyberpunk and that stuff. So I would flip through that book and I begged my dad, like, hey, can I have this? And he's like, it's $25. Like, it's a big, you know, it's giant. It's its tome, right? Like 300 pages for a fifth grader. And anyway, yeah. it was funny because he finally got it for me for Christmas, you know, begrudgingly. He <laughs> never thought I'd do anything. And I really didn't. I kind of just tinkered with the book occasionally, flipping through it, having no idea what a role-playing game was. <laughs> it would be years, but I actually met my first gamer friends that, that I ever first gamed with through having more Shadowrun stuff that I would bring to school, like in study hall. And I still didn't know what it was. I just like, hey, I got this Denver box set and I'm just flipping through the books because it's <laughs> cool
1: looking. Well, I mean, you got, you know, even if the mechanics of Shadowrun are a little uh, little overwhelming and complicated, de- depending on how far back you're going into yeah. the system, the visuals of that game were always super on point and yeah. enticing and interesting and, you know, really drawing you in. I I actually am looking over on my shelf and I have every single edition of Shadowrun that's ever come out, even though it's not really a game I want to play anymore because yeah. it's just too crunchy sure but i love the aesthetics of that game
0: i'm such a collector too yeah since it was my game it was the it was the first game i did ever run i yeah i, I collect different editions and all the little source books that i don't really use but it's like i want them i want to know what's inside them i want to like just sometimes sift through the context of like what is it like in the drug world of Shadowrun in 20 you know 2082 <laughs> now you know? um,
1: how did you end up making the transition from playing to running since you say you ran Shadowrun.
0: Um, so that really did come into play at the game store. The little minor error in this was that there was a little bit of gaming that kind of happened in the side through school and but most of it came out of that game store experience. When we started playing at the game store, uh, there were other people who ran like D&D. A lot of times they do like a one shot that were more my age, or maybe like mm-hmm. college age, they weren't like the, the main groups were kind of older. Like in their mm-hmm. late 30s, early 40s, you know, where I am now, right? The grognards. Um, yeah. And, the, you know, it's important to mention in the 90s, there was more of a, I don't know, a stigma of like, well, we can't let the teenagers play with us. They're not serious. You know, they're not going to take this serious. <laughs> they're going to, they just want to do wacky, zany stuff.
1: I, I think there there was, um, I mean, it was gatekeeping, but there was definitely a protectiveness Mm-hmm. that that generation of gamers had about gaming during that time period.
0: And I and that's kind of why it's important to mention the context of the time period, right? Cuz I think now it would be much more open and I hope it would be more open and inclusive.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure you can still find your game stores that, you know, have their yeah. little insular groups that don't want to let anybody new in, but most of the game stores at least the ones I'm familiar with in my area like they have their game days and, you know, to get new players into it, you know, yeah. like that's the whole goal is to, you know, and of course, actual play podcasts have changed everything
0: mm-hmm. as far as
1: people finding gaming and all that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I, it, it just came organically over time. There was a mm-hmm. couple people that'd be like, hey, you want to play this, you know, Cyberpunk 2020 game one time and you want to play this one time? And it got me thinking like, hey, as I saw other people doing it. And I always, I had this strong bent towards like real narrative um, mm-hmm. in our games where like people got to almost simulationist, but you know, they got to be characters. It was almost counterculture. Cause like I said, the, the hardcore culture at my store was, you know, like, Hey, you're a class, you serve the party. There's the party leader. He says what you do every, every day, every Wednesday was a new dungeon with some end boss fight and monsters along the way. So I was like, Hey, I want you to have characters. We're going to explore this world we're going to you we're going to figure out what your goals are and we're going to you know Shadowrun was very mission based but but it was a lot of they hung out at bars they went places they mm-hmm. made friends they had hangouts that they enjoyed so yeah Shadowrun was my first game and i then was running it one day a week it, it really did just kind of start and then i ran it for a long time
1: That's really cool
0: Yeah so I, I i got lucky that it wasn't like one shot one shot one shot it was like hey i got to really learn how to hone my craft kind of right off the bat so
1: Yeah, and and back in that, that, the 90s timeframe, it's like, it's not that story wasn't part of gaming, because it was really starting to, like, you know, the, 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 like I said, the aesthetics, especially, like, as World of Darkness came in, but it was still, like, a lot of times the story part of things happened by accident.
0: Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned World of Darkness, because I think that if that wasn't a big thing in the, like, RPG scene at the time, that if everyone there were so many people coming into it with vampire and werewolf and mage and most of us even if we hadn't played it yet we were still dabbling with one shots but we had started reading those books and those books mm-hmm. were so descriptive i yeah. mean it really was like a huge shift in how rpg books were created or like i remember reading the vampire book which i wish i knew what edition it was and being like this reads like a good book what is going on here? Like, I read 50 pages and I don't know, I just kept reading as like a, you know, 10th grader or something. Where the other books, you know, it was a chore. I felt like it was a chore yeah. even though I loved doing it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to, you know, dredge through 10 more pages because I want to finish the DM section or whatever it is. But the vampire books were the first time I read something. I was like, wow, this is really good writing.
1: It's, it's like they put the theme and the aesthetics of the, aesthetics isn't quite the right term, but the theme and the feel of the game ahead of, the crunch. Yeah. I mean, it was still a very, you know, compared to the stuff nowadays, it was still a very crunchy game. Yeah. But it was like they still put that feel in the front of everything.
0: Yeah, and if it wasn't for those games, I think I would have had a much harder time trying to explain to other people, like, I want this to be more of a story game before story games. You know, I want this to yeah. be a little more narrative focused. I really cared about the characters and the, the people who would be those characters. And yeah, I think a lot of the, the gaming groups there would have just looked at me like, what is your deal man like go go (laughs) to drama like don't don't play role-playing games go write a short story or something
1: dude so obviously you like story in your games uh what what you know beyond that what we've talked about cyberpunk and fantasy what what types of games do you like to play and you know what type do you like to run and is there a difference between the two
0: i'm really spoiled uh because i know we're going to talk about my game dream chaser later but i i what I found is now with so many years in, I'm 38. So I've been doing, you know, 20, what, three, four years, whatever, of role-playing games to get into characters. It's one of those things where I've done so much that I, I do. I'm like, I'm like a critic for the Oscars now. Like, I like <laughs> all the obscure stuff. I like the weird stuff that I've never done before. So a lot of the stuff that I really look at these days is stuff like Puppet Land or maybe like uh, Beach Patrol came out recently. I was like, they watch the <laughs> RPG. Like, that'd be a fun one-shot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do kind of it's the stuff that kind of makes me go, oh I've never done that before. I love medieval fantasy, I love Dungeons and Dragons, I, I'm very happy to play a 5e game. You can make any game into the story or narrative version of it that best suits your tastes. Yeah. Even if the system isn't perfect for that, you know, it can be done, right? It it's just one of those things where I just don't want anything that feels like same old, same old in my mm-hmm. games. That may even be an age thing, right? As you get older, you're like, so much is more routine. And you're like, just don't give me more of the same. Yeah. I don't want to start in a bar. I don't want to be summoned by the king. I don't want to save the princess. I don't want, you know, the the dwarf to have a Scottish accent unless, you know, they need it. You know, <laughs> it's literally a Scottish dwarf. <laughs> you know, like, But I, I, there are some parts to you, like, like cyberpunk, that I kind of like, I miss because I haven't done enough in a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but a lot of the stuff I, I really am endeared to are things like monsters and other childish things. Oh, I like yeah, I like beautiful a games that have uh, a little bit of an emotional bend to them that mm-hmm. take me places where, you know, I can kind of be someone completely different.
1: Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. Now, in addition to being one of our fantastic new gnomes, you're hmm. also a game designer. Why don't you tell us about what you've worked on, i.e. Dream Chaser?
0: This is kind of where I was saying I am so spoiled. Is I made this game called Dream Chaser, and uh, it says Dream Chaser, a game of destiny. And what's neat about it is, it's easy to, to peg it as, oh, it's another universal game or something, but it's kind of so much more because it empowers its players to create the goal of the game. So literally the GM doesn't say what the goal is. I don't even have a say in what it is. Like the players sit down and it gives them a system of pitching ideas for what it could be about. And then they vote on which one they like the best. So we have things, any, anything from like the other night we, we played a game that was, uh, God, what was the goal? Oh, it was to find a home for us and them. And this was kind of like kind of meta, but it created this very philosophical game of when when that one won, it was like, because we were all like, who are them? Like, why, what are we separating? And they, they pitched that goal. They voted on it. They liked that one. And the person who pitched that goal said, you know, I'm going to be like a lost soul, but I have a cause that I'm trying to like find other people home. And then another person said, well, maybe I'm like an interdimensional traveler. But I'm not, not all those that wander are lost. I'm a wanderer. I travel but because I want to. I don't want a home. That's like my role. And uh, basically, they, they all brainstorm off of each other as they're just kind of doing this collaboratively out loud. And this mm-hmm. frames an infrastructure for what the game's going to look like. And then they make characters and then they play the game. But uh, the whole thing about it that's cool is that the system's made that it adapts to the goal you create and that it empowers you to make the best characters you want to make with the, the things you think are most important in that story. And it hands it to a GM to say, okay, run us this game. So when you do that, it also makes it very nice for the game master. Where, you know, I, I haven't, we've sneakily talked about how many sessions it is or if it's a one shot. We, we have chapter goals that tell the whole story. <laughs> the characters are all made with the goal in mind, which is really important with RPGs. Yeah. So the game arguably says that I think the goal maybe is the most important thing in the game that we need to hash out ahead of time. And it kind of forces a session zero, even if that's just, you know, 30 minutes before you play the game.
1: That's really cool.
0: Yeah. So anyway, it's a game all about utility. But uh, I'm super stoked. And because of it, I get to play all kinds of amazing games. Like eliminate my split personality or I just want to lift Thor's hammer. Why can't we do that? One of my favorites I always talk about is eat the McRib again. Uh, Something silly. (laughs) that just made the whole group laugh, right? And then we were like, it was a Sunday morning in California. And we're at a convention. And we're all kind of tired. The con's almost over. And uh, the person says it. And we all just kind of chuckle as we're like sipping our coffee. And that simple thing was like, oh, well, I want to be the computer programmer in this story. The one that's at McDonald's every morning. Annoying the manager about like, hey, how many more days to the McRib? And then the other guy's like, oh, I want to be that mid-level manager. But what you didn't know is McDonald's has like a black team, like a black suit outfit. That's their, their secret security or like their militant side that I used to be a part of. And I've retired to this mid-level manager. And then someone was like, well, maybe the McRib recipe was always wrong. And I'm the apprentice to the recipe master from a foreign country who's been trying to get to McDonald's to tell them that they, make, they, they don't make it right. And so anyway, they're all just kind of making this with with the gold in mind and playing off each other. And it was this crazy game that literally I had nothing prepped. I listened to them, <laughs> played off each other, created this game that's actually a little more crunchy than you'd think is how free form it sounds. And we found out that McDonald's was trying to sink the McRib by like really botching it to replace it with the McWally because they <laughs> whale and dolphin meat so like, uh, you know, boo-hoo like taboo for the united states but they could control that market so they were literally trying to replace it and they needed to botch the micro bad enough that americans would accept it
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's hilarious to a certain degree it's you know like because i've i've run a fair amount of pbta games yeah and when i bring one of those to a a con for a one-shot I have no idea what the game is going to be until the players give me their characters. Yeah. And it sounds like this, you know, Dream Chaser kind of takes that idea of you don't know what you're going to run until the players give it to you.
0: It it takes so much from PBTA. Uh, You know, that's one of those things I I love to give credit where credit's due. I mean, things like Lady Blackbird made me think Mm -hmm. that conceptually this game could work because Lady Blackbird's just a game that's like, hey, here's all the concepts and some tools and 10 pages that include the characters, go. And you're like, can you do that? And then you play it and you're like, wow, we can have a lot of, fun. even a lot of fun in different parts of the story that we, you, you didn't even think would be cool from the get go. Yeah. And obviously fate said, Hey, characters are really important. Uh, it's a little more pulpy than dream chaser is, mm-hmm. but you know, the idea of like character focus, tying each other together, having something light and, and like with still a lot of collaborative control, but not yeah. as much as PBTA. And if nothing else, I love the role mechanic, right? Like, mm-hmm." We don't have pass-fail. We have you either succeed, like whatever you thought was going to happen, happen with the flying success, you succeed with the catch, or utter failure, not boring failure, right? Like failure that moves us forward.
1: Yeah. And you don't even, technically you could get what you want with a failure. It's just, it may not have been what you needed.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. So I I definitely had a lot of influence from that, from all of those games. Yeah.
1: From what I saw, Dream Chaser is available on DriveThruRPG, if people want to go look it up. Because I know you, you had a Kickstarter for it a couple of years ago.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, back in, what, February 2017? It did Sweet. very well. I, I would recommend that you either order it from IPR, Indie Press Revolution, or direct from my website. I have a company called Imagining Games, so ImaginingGames.com, because you get offset print quality there. Obviously, drive-through is great if you want to get PDFs and catch up on the yep. other example packs we have as well. But
1: I think when I looked on drive-through, they only had the PDF available.
0: Yeah, I don't do any print through them because of the offset. Gotcha. There's a level of quality. Uh, Dream Chaser got nominated for Indie Groundbreaker for best art, Ooh. and unfortunately, with a drive-through and print-on-demand, while it's fantastic, there's a level of like color saturation that's missing mm-hmm. that I find even with the best, like some beautiful books like Threadbare. There's just a level of what they have. In the color saturation, I think it's the big one. So you you see the print quality difference between my book and that, and you, you're like, oh wow, this is premium compared to that. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's getting better every day,
1: <laughs> uh, and the
0: utility is like you know really high.
1: Yeah, I think the only things I've gotten print on demand from Drive Through are uh, black and white interiors. Yeah. So because it's,
0: there, it's... there's no loss, there really isn't. I I, yeah. I one of the side things I do is for the Indie Game Developer Network. I'm the convention coordinator. So currently, I, right over here for C two E two next month, actually this month, I have a whole bunch of stock. So I, I get the benefit of I'm always looking through other people's books and stuff. <laughs> and I I just had another good one, a couple of them over here that are obviously print on demand. One was through CreateSpace, Space, which I was actually kind of impressed with. It had a nice matte cover mm-hmm. that was pretty good quality. But yeah, just the the black and white was uh, again, it's the color saturation. If you can get mm-hmm. the dark enough, bold enough blacks in there, and it, it looked great. So.
1: Any other cool design projects on the horizon for you?
0: I'm working on a semi-secret Earth Dawn project. <laughs> um, we were talking about how um, my first game was Shadowrun. but that, of course, led me to find Earth Dawn back mm-hmm. in the '90s. And uh, for those that don't know Earth Dawn, what I've always been fascinated with was I love the Fallout computer games, and those were in the '90s. And Earth Dawn kind of takes some of the best of like Dungeons and Dragons and like slaps it with Fallout, uh, and it's a really <laughs> neat like amalgamation where they, they know in the whole fast universe of Shadowrun Earthon, the, the short of it is the astral plane every, every so many thousand years in our world like coincide. And when that happens, magic gets really strong. In Earthon, there was also another problem was all of these horrors, these like really creepy twisted monsters, a lot of them very intelligent, also were able to come over for a few hundred years. And great sages in Earth Dawn realized that back in this ancient medieval sort of fantasy kingdom, that hey, in a few hundred years, we're going to be overrun by monsters, and they're going to they're just going to appear in our world, and they're going to ravage everything. We won't even know. We don't even know what we're dealing with. They're just going to be here, and what are we going to do? So they basically create like fallout shelters. A lot of the the cultures like go deep in the mountains or deep underground, and they like ruin the hell out of things with glyphs, and the, it, it's all this doomsday protection. Some of the cities do weird things like one major city is like, we're going to teleport ourselves for 400 years and then come back. And one of them was like, we're going to protect ourselves with this ancient ritual that goes, and you know, obviously the teleport and the ancient ritual go horribly wrong. <laughs> of course. Earth Dawn kind of takes place as you're then these people that after hundreds of years start coming out and every, having a, a genuine reason of why we need to re-explore our world. And also a genuine reason of why are there monsters everywhere? Why is everything so dangerous? What do we need to find? Well, we have all these cities that have been ravaged. There's all kinds of stuff that's been lost. So it, it really adds a whole another level to all of this. The, the fun things you usually do in a typical D&D game. You have all, all this much supportive reason. So uh, we're working in like a, a supplement that I can't say when and if it's coming out, but it's coming <laughs> out soon. I'm excited. <laughs> and my next game is called Rest in Pieces. It plays off of Dread, like the game mechanic mm-hmm. the Jengit Tower, that I want to do that as a design goal. So Rest in Pieces is a fun two-hour Jenga Tower-based game where you play deadbeat roommates that (laughs) you live with the Grim Reaper. And the problem is that the Grim Reaper is making everyone's life hell. And you're basically just trying to almost passive-aggressively get him to leave. (laughs) So it's a fun little game that's really crazy. After some years of selling games, I realized that some of the shortcomings of what we have interacting with like a PAX audience Mm -hmm. and some of the casual gamers... So this game right now is currently a card deck that has all of the the rules and a lot of story prompts and like cards that you can use that are instead of like writing on a sheet of paper, you just pick the card and put it in front of you. And it it has the Jenga tower because nothing's Uh going to tell players like I could buy this game right now and then go play it in the hallway with my friends. Yeah. Unfortunately, the book medium still to new gamers is like, I got to read that. Even if it's thin, I got to read that. Well, obviously I can't do it now. I got to do it when I go home. With cards, people think we could do this right now. Even if sometimes card games are a little, you know, rules heavy. Yeah,
1: no, that's really cool, and I, I love seeing Starcrossed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I got to try Starcrossed last year, which also uses the Jenga tower. Yeah, and you know that that was, you know, having played a lot of Dread in the previous years, it was really cool seeing something new being done with that concept.
0: I love that you got to keep your hand at it. I mean, like that's really oh. ingenious
1: yeah it's like I played with uh with my friend Chris, and we played these two opposed alien species that had to work together to guard this outpost against this oncoming threat, even though we didn't necessarily like each other, but we were yeah. attracted to each other and like every time we had to interact and be touching the tower, it's like my <laughs> hand was shaking, yeah it's like oh, you know it's just just that feel brings the the whole tension to the game. Now, I played that at Indie Games on Demand, which brings me to my next question, because you recently had a cool article on the stew about taking that Games on Demand idea and bringing it to your own convention. So I wanted to ask you more about that. For sure.
0: For sure. Yeah. So what's fun too is it was a a fun way to also like kind of give a little recognition to the people who've been doing hard work locally for me. So the group, um, let's see. So it's 2019. So January 2018. Uh, is when it started. We called it the Tales of the 219. 219 is our area code. We did, you know, used Facebook and like kind of did polls and surveys of like, hey, what should we call this thing that we're making? And I tried to get more people involved to make it a community thing. Make it, mm-hmm. you know, like Dream Chaser. I wanted a group ownership, right? Getting some investments and buy-in. And uh, Tales of the Two One Nine One, which is fun. We made logos and stuff. And we started doing um, in-store events. So basically, it's just kind of like a meetup that we have on Facebook. We use a lot of what the games and demand model is for the events that we do and the idea was that we do two a month which kind of became one at one a month or one, 1. 1.5 a month because it's kind of like every three or four weeks that we do one and i tried to i guess we kind of need to know more of what it is so we, we kind of do a games and demand thing which is like you go to this public place it's free in this case and you walk in there's no commitment you see some placards that say hey There's a Dream Chaser and Laser Kittens and Beach Patrol that are available to play. And you say, oh, this Beach Patrol game sounds good. Oh, wait, but I can play Delta Green? I'm going to play Delta Green. And then I say, hey, Delta Green GM, uh, you have a player. And then they go set their stuff up. And we say, well, Delta Green's happening. And then we take off any placards that that GM may also have offered to run that day. Mm -hmm. And basically, you get a bunch of GMs who say, hey, I can run these games. So you give a bunch of options to players. And uh, as they pick them, you pulled off the games that aren't selected. And uh, we even have like a prize pool of some of the stuff that I can uh, pick up over at conventions or sometimes game stores donate them to me. And uh, we kind of bribe people. We're like, hey, if you play, if you, hey, you want to try a role playing game? Because if you do, you can pick from this prize pool and there's games and stuff and posters <laughs> and comic books and all kinds of things. But uh, I'm really lucky that in northwest Indiana where I am, we have, I mean, arguably we have like maybe six to eight game stores. But really, we have kind of like four or five that are pretty prominent, mm-hmm. especially that have some size. So we've spent the first year kind of going to all of them, hoping that we even if we, we rotate either weekday to weekend and we go to locations that hopefully eventually will be close to you and we do it in a public place. So it's not like some creepy basement. You have to come, you know, maybe accept <laughs> to come try out with new strangers or whatever, because I really want to also bring some of like the life and vibrant community that I see at conventions locally like yeah. we we're saying a lot of my stores still are a little kind of like status quo very similar audience that is an off-putting to you know you have a person of color and they may not feel comfortable uh they may get asked rude questions even though they weren't intended to be rude as people just aren't yeah. used to gaming with people of color or you know we have some of the incidents where women's coming women come in the game store and they get treated as if they never see the game before <laughs> so i try to make these events as diverse as I can, inviting people of color, trying to get women out, trying to bring kids, trying to make them family friendly. And that's a constant struggle because you're trying to change people's minds in a way. There's a reason they don't go and game at these places. And you're trying to say, hey, it's really fun. There's great people here. And I'm trying to network everyone so that they have wider networks so they don't give up on role playing again in the future.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. I think there are a lot of game stores that have made those steps forward to try and make their doors open wider to a wider audience, yeah. making themselves more inviting, having inviting space, not trying to, you know, inadvertently ostracize, you know, the the non non-straight white dudes. But there's still there's still those holes in the walls that don't want to change and you walk in the door and you immediately feel uncomfortable yeah. cuz you're not part of that audience that's that's normally there.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, and you can kind of – that's trying to make excuses for people, but you can understand how it happens, right? Like sometimes yeah. like, like one of the game stores that's local, you know, the guy took it over. I think he was a manager there, and then after 10 years of being a manager, he took over the ownership. You know, he's been there 20 years, and, you know, he's probably a much different person than he was when he was the kid who got the store kind of thing. But like how much has that person changed over 20 years because he is the store, right? Mm-hmm. So – And if that's been his life, is that one business, that one place where he spends 12 hours a day for, you know, 20 years, like you can understand how things can be very routine and status quo and build a culture that's very similar, that doesn't change much. And uh, yeah, I would just like to see more of these places be a little bit more diverse and open and welcoming as the gaming community is at conventions.
1: Yeah. Well, one last question. What can our audience look forward from you on the stew?
0: Oh, awesome. Yeah, so a lot of things I do, I, you know, one of the things I, let's see, how do I start this best? Tony Robbins has a thing that basically, he gets asked all the time. He's like a self-help guru. And then he's, you know, how do I give public speaking things, lectures, big talks about stuff that I don't care about? And <laughs> He laughably <laughs> says, well, that's your problem. I only speak about what I'm passionate about. So when I think about that, I try to find topics that are important to me or that I'm even exercising in my own life. So, some of the intersection of who I am is one, I go to a lot of conventions as the convention coordinator. I love role playing games very passionately, have for a long time. And I am very much a self help person. A person is maybe, I like to think uplifting, but that's for other people to say, not me. <laughs> so, articles uh, like there are things like one of the things that I put in Dream Chaser that I think everyone should do is there's a topic of like ending games with gratitude. Like ending mm. games were the best games. Everyone hangs out a little too long afterwards and we all talk about the game and how awesome it was. Yeah. But as we get older and as just the day and age is just more full of stuff, more often than not, people are always racing to get off the table. Unfortunately, even sometimes, like I was supposed to leave an hour ago, I, I got to excuse myself and I have to leave the game. But what that all kind of hurts the game. It all kind of hurts the game master. It all kind of hurts the vibe. So about just placing some extra time at the end of your games to make a point where every player thinks of at least one thing that someone else in that group did to make their experience better. So by setting 15 minutes aside that we have that conversation at the end of every game, I think makes every gaming group stronger. Mm -hmm. It reminds bad players... Of the things that they do that everyone enjoys, you know, it it tells good players like, hey, this time you went on a limb and you had this character voice and I loved it. So, and even sometimes it's little things like, hey, I really like that suggestion you made in character creation, but we don't always bring that stuff up. So by eking out time and talking about it, so things like that, things that are kind of more group oriented, things to make it a better experience, I hope, for everyone involved, that they feel more rewarded in what they do.
1: That's really cool. I like that. Any last words for our uh, last words? Any last words for our audience?
0: <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I was talking to you beforehand and it was just very cool to mention to the people who listen to this that it was probably five, six years ago that I was another person who looked at gnome steer Every Day, read the things, saw people like Phil Vecchione, uh, bought some of the engine publishing stuff, like uh, Never Unprepared, mm-hmm. would send these people emails and be like, I loved it. It changed my my gaming life. Thank you. And then when I met John, he was like, hey, you want to do a guest post sometime? I had to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. I'd love to because I was working in the convention booth. And then I was like, wait, can we do that again? Because five years ago, I would have beat myself up for what I just did. (laughs) Like (laughs) John, I would love to do that. Five years ago, that would have been something beyond my wildest dream. So uh, it's, you know, like I said, it's really cool to meet you. And after all the articles I read and be a part of this you know, in some ways, like Gnome Stew has really eked out something special. In the day yeah. and age, with all these blogs that exist, Gnome Stew is still a blog that matters. Mm-hmm. That people go to and will be a a blog for much, much longer. Even if blogs die out, there will still be Gnome Stew.
1: <laughs> we'll still be there. We'll still be yes. blogging. Okay, let's get out of here. This show is funded by the Gnome Stew Patreon. You too can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link to the Gnome Stew website on the Gnome Stew Patreon. This ad is brought to you by Buffer Advocates International, the organization encouraging podcasters everywhere to not wait until the last minute to record their podcasts. If you don't create a buffer, you're going to make your editors really angry. And please don't leave us, Rob. If you're enjoying the Gnomecast, you'll probably like many of the other misdirected remark shows. Here's another one to check out.
0: On Wednesday evening podcast All-Stars, we have Brett, Tom, Kevin, Chris, and Andy get together and they play games that get edited down into an audio drama for your ears. Join the crew of All-Star players as they create stories from the games you love.
1: You can find us at GnomeStew.com, at GnomeStew on Twitter, and GnomeStew on Facebook. Also, you know, GnomeStew on Twitch now. Ooh. Uh, Pete, where else can we find you on the internet?
0: So uh, the, the quick, easy place would be go to ImaginingGames.com. You have all the social links at the bottom. I'm at Vembraner on Twitter, which is V-E-M-B-R-A-N-O-R. Imagining Games has a Facebook. Dream Chaser has an RPG group. So yeah, you can find me pretty much everywhere. And if not me, Imagining Games.
1: Uh, out of curiosity, is Vembraner an old character name?
0: Uh Inspired by one, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there there was a couple characters I had. Actually, what's funny is there was a WoW character back when I played uh, World of Warcraft. And I, I really thought it was neat that you can make, you know, an avatar name that kind of lasted over a long period of time that people would, you know, your identities in an MMO can like live with you beyond the game because yeah. that's how people know you as a person, especially if you meet them in real life. So that really inspired me to say, I could make a gaming character sort of name and use it as a handle. Of course, now I'm like, I wish it was, like, imagining games or, like, Dream Chaser Pete or something, but it's, you know.
1: It is what it is. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay, I think that's it. Uh, Do you think we avoided the stew this week? (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully John won't throw a new gnome in the stew.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, yes, please, please save us. Listen to this. Let him know that we, we should not be in the stew. Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs.